Chapter Fifteen of The Curious Quest by E. Phillips Oppenheim. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Fifteen. The same long-limbed and elegant young man who had first engaged Bliss was waiting for him in the office when he arrived. He merely glanced up to give his order. "'Take the six-cylinder sun and go to number seven Harley Street,' he ordered. "'Is it an all-night job?' Bliss asked. "'Can't tell,' the young man replied. "'It's to take a doctor out into the country somewhere.' Bliss looked over the car, which, so far as he could see, was in perfect order, and a few minutes later started on his errand. He was all the time oppressed with a vague sense of familiarity about the address. When he turned into Harley Street and glanced at the numbers, his vague suspicions were suddenly confirmed. He came to a standstill before Sir James Aldroyd's house. With a grim smile he descended and rang the doorbell. The same manservant who had admitted him on his previous visit opened the door. "'Brought a car from the Sun Motor Company,' Bliss announced. "'Quite right, my man,' the butler replied condescendingly. "'Sir James will be out in a moment. "'You needn't stop your engine. He's in rather a hurry.' Bliss resumed his place in the driving seat and pulled his cap well over his eyes. A moment or two later Sir James appeared carrying a small black bag. With his fingers upon the handle of the door, he turned towards Bliss. "'Drive me to Walton-on-Thames,' he ordered. "'Go as quickly as you can without taking any risks. You understand?' "'Perfectly, sir,' Bliss answered, bending over his wheel. The doctor took his place in the car, and they started off. In an hour's time they were entering Walton. In accordance with instructions which he received through the speaking-tube, Bliss turned in at the avenue of a large house standing in its own grounds, and drew up before the front door. Every window was flaring with light. The door was open before they stopped. "'I shall probably be an hour,' Sir James remarked as he disappeared. Bliss leaned back in his seat and waited. Once or twice he looked up at the windows and shivered. Without a doubt his sympathies had become keener during these last few months. The sickness and sorrows of other people had scarcely touched him in the days of his splendid prosperity. Now he found himself wondering who the patient might be, hoping and praying that the skill of the great physician might triumph, sympathising with the people who must be waiting in such cruel anxiety. Presently the door was opened softly, and a servant stepped out. "'Will you take anything?' he asked Bliss. Bliss accepted a whisky and soda and a handful of cigarettes. "'Who is ill here?' he inquired. "'The mistress, your governor's operating now.' The man's hand was shaking. Bliss smiled at him reassuringly as he handed the tumbler back. "'Sir James is an exceedingly clever surgeon,' he said. "'He has saved a great many lives.' The time passed on. It was about an hour and a half before one or two of the lights were extinguished. 
Then the door was opened. The doctor reappeared. A tall, thin man came out with him. Bliss gave almost a start as he heard Sir James talk. His tone was kind, his manner sympathetic and earnest. "'I am only too happy to be able to assure you,' he was saying, "'that your wife's condition is most favourable. I do not think there is the slightest chance of any trouble whatever. I have never felt more confident after an operation.' "'You may sleep quite easily, Mr. Langdale.' Bliss saw the tears in the man's eyes as he wrung the doctor's hand, and he was conscious of a thrill of sympathy as they turned back towards London. Precisely at one o'clock they drew up before Number 7 Harley Street. Sir James descended and turned towards Bliss. "'You can tell your people that everything was quite satisfactory,' he remarked. Here is something for yourself. Bliss removed his cap, looked at the half-sovereign, and placed it carefully in his waistcoat pocket. "'Much obliged to you, Sir James,' he said. "'Hope you're getting your hand in training for that shake.' Sir James, who had been turning towards the house, stared at him blankly. Bliss slipped in his first speed. "'I'm doing very well, thank you,' he continued. "'Ah, I can see you recognise me now.' Ah, "'It's my young friend with the millions,' Sir James gasped. Bliss held up his hand. "'Hush!' he whispered. "'Don't give me away. I am Bliss, a chauffeur at the Sun Motor Works, thirty shillings a week and tips. Most obliged to you for this half-sovereign, Sir James. I'll drink your health, and good-night.' The car glided off, leaving the physician standing in the middle of the pavement. Bliss paused at the corner of the street to light a cigarette. "'The evening of my life,' he murmured as he started off again. First Francis, then this old buffer. And now—' He clapped on the brake and stopped the car. A man was standing in the middle of the road with his arms outstretched. A man who seemed to have appeared from nowhere, in evening dress— but without any hat or overcoat. "'Hello?' Bliss asked. "'What's wrong?' The man came round to the side of the car. He had the appearance of a foreigner. His face was freckled, but perfectly pallid, so that the freckles looked like brown spots. The hand which gripped the front of the car was shaking. He spoke to Bliss quickly, almost feverishly. "'Pull up here!' he directed. "'Pull up! I want to get in!' Bliss leaned a little over the side. "'Are you under the impression,' he asked, "'that this is your private motor?' The man, who had already wrenched the door open, stopped short. "'Are you not a taxicab?' he exclaimed. "'I am not,' Bliss assured him. "'But you are for hire,' the other continued eagerly. "'I will pay you double, treble price, for one half-hour only. Come, I will give you five pounds. The car is for hire, in the ordinary way, Bliss admitted. Then it is settled, the man interrupted. You drive me quickly to number nine, Adam Street. Bliss did as he was directed. The streets were almost empty now, and the drive took only a few minutes. The house before which they stopped was tall, smoke-begrimed and gloomy. 
there was a light only in the topmost window. The man jumped out quickly. "'You wait!' he ordered. He produced the latch-key and disappeared inside the building. Bliss, glancing round a moment after his departure, noticed that the small electric light inside the car had been turned out. He descended from his seat, opened the door, and then, for a moment, stood paralysed. His hand, in feeling for the switch, had fallen upon something soft, something that felt like fur. He turned on the light quickly. A woman was leaning back in the corner of the car, remote from the pavement. A woman wrapped in a long fur coat and wearing a heavy veil. He could form no idea of her age or looks. Her voice was soft, but passionate. "'Turn out that light!' she begged. "'Oh, turn it out!' "'Look here!' Bliss exclaimed. "'How long have you been in the car?' "'Barely thirty seconds,' she answered. "'I was waiting on the other side of the road there, in the passage. I slipped in just now.' "'Any connection with the gentleman who's just gone in there?' Bliss asked, with a jerk of the head. A little foreign exclamation broke from her lips, at the nature of which Bliss could only guess. "'He was going without me,' she whispered. "'Leave me here, please. Get back to your place.' Bliss stared at the woman, and then back at the house, from the topmost window of which the light had now been extinguished. "'This is all very well,' he grumbled but I have no business to go mixing myself in elopements or anything of that sort. I shall get the sack. "'This is not an elopement,' she murmured. "'Wait! Ah, see!' she added swiftly. "'The light has gone. He will be here directly. Go, quickly!' Bliss climbed back to his driving seat reluctantly. Almost immediately the door of the house was opened. The man who came out stepped quickly towards Bliss. "'Listen to me,' he began. Bliss stared at him in amazement. "'Hello!' he exclaimed. "'Who are you?' The newcomer frowned impatiently. "'I'm the man you took up in Harley Street,' he answered sharply. "'You must recognise me. My face was splashed with mud then.' Bliss stared at him. Not only were the brown freckles gone from his face, but the man's appearance was in every way changed. He wore a soft black hat, which came forward over his eyes. There was a suggestion of a black moustache upon his upper lip, and black lines under his eyes. "'I'm an actor, you idiot,' he proceeded. "'What business is it of yours? Do as you're bidden faithfully.' "'And you're going to get a five-pound note for yourself tonight. "'Is that not worth while?' "'Rather,' Bliss replied. "'You mean as well as the five pounds for the hire of the car?' "'Of course,' the man assented. Five pounds for the car, and five pounds for your pourboire.' "'Right-o,' Bliss said. "'Where to?' "'You will drive me,' the man directed, "'to the far corner of the High Street Hounds Ditch. "'You will leave me there?' and you will forget all about me. For taking me there, this, he continued, handing a note to Bliss. For forgetting me, this. Bliss pocketed the two notes, 
a little dazed. The man turned away and opened the door of the car. Bliss heard something like the growl of a wild beast, then the woman's softer voice pleading. The door was slammed. "'Go on,' the man called out. Bliss drove slowly up the strand. He turned eastward, but almost at once he made a sudden turn to the left and climbed the hill leading to Bow Street. The man rattled upon the window, but Bliss took no notice. He drove straight to the door of the police station and beckoned to the constable who stood in the doorway. As it chanced, he was talking to an inspector who also obeyed Bliss's summons. "'Look here,' Bliss said, leaning towards them. "'I may be making a fool of myself, but I don't quite understand my fares inside. I took the man up without hat or coat in Harley Street. He thought I was driving a taxi, and offered me five pounds for half an hour's job. I drove him to Adams Street, and while he was at the top of the building there, a woman sneaked in behind. When the man came down he was disguised. He wants me to drive him to Houndsditch." The inspector turned towards the door of the car. Bliss also dismounted. As he glanced in he gave a little cry of surprise. Its only occupant was the woman. The inspector looked at Bliss questioningly. He was there a second ago, Bliss declared. The woman remained silent. The official addressed her. "'Madam,' he said, "'the driver here tells me—' He was interrupted by her little laugh. "'My dear friend,' she began. The inspector took an electric torch from his pocket and flashed it into her face. Almost immediately he blew a whistle. Two or three policemen came running out. "'Search this neighbourhood at once!' he ordered. A man has escaped from this car within the last few seconds. He is probably Peter Crazen. Quick, driver, how was he dressed? Bliss explained as well as he could, and the policeman started off. Then, in obedience to the inspector's commanding gesture, he followed the lady into the building. The former led them past the charge-room to a small office. "'I come, Mr. Inspector,' the woman said indifferently, because I am always so pleased to do as you ask. You have no charge against me, I think. None, the official replied. Have you anything to say to me? It will make things easier for you some day. She laughed. Not a word. The inspector took down Bliss's story, commended him for his action, and dismissed him. Bliss returned to the garage left his car, and, as there was no one there in authority to whom he could make a report, went back to his room and to bed. On the following morning Bliss was sent for from the manager's office. The same elaborate young man was there, seated upon the table, the usual cigarette in the corner of his mouth, a brown canvas duster over his otherwise irreproachable attire. "'You wanted to speak to me, sir?' Bliss inquired. The young man folded up the newspaper he was reading and laid it down. "'You were out with the six-cylinder car last night, weren't you?' "'Yes, sir.' "'You took Sir James Allroyd to Walton and back?' "'Yes, sir.' "'What did you do after your return?' "'Had quite an adventure, sir,' 
Bliss answered. I took up a man in Harley Street who offered me five pounds for half an hour's job. Then— Don't you know, the man interrupted, that it is against the rules for you to accept fares in that way? As soon as your errand was completed, you should have returned here at once. I didn't think there was any harm in accepting a good job, Bliss protested. There was a great deal of harm, the deputy manager replied coolly. You were made use of by a notorious thief and burglar. We do not care to have our names mentioned in such a connection. Besides, you have broken one of our first rules in taking up a promiscuous fare. They will pay you your money at the office, Bliss. We shall not require your services any longer. And by the by— Yes, sir. If you should happen to have any more of those notes, like the one you handed in this morning for the car hire, take my advice and burn them. You mean that they are bad? Bliss gasped. Very bad indeed, was the green reply. Take my advice, my good fellow, and don't attempt to pass them. You'll get your money at the office. The young gentleman resumed the study of his newspaper. Bliss went slowly out into the garage, changed his clothes, and drew his salary. With thirty-five shillings and a bad five-pound note in his pocket, he walked slowly away down Longacre to join once more the ranks of the unemployed. End of chapter 15